Monday morning. Gil Alexander, your betting dork, pregame.com. And it's all about Major League Baseball stats today. That is, if I can uh, sort of regroup after the lost series finale last night, which not only has me lost, I finally recognize what the show title means, <laughs> but I'm also, of course, emotional about the whole thing. I'm a lost dork as well. So this is done as I pour out a 40 in tribute to Lost, we go into baseball stats today, and I'm joined once again by forum guest STL Sharp. That's what he's known by in the forum themselves at pregame.com, otherwise known as Gary. What's up, Gary? Thanks for being on again. What's happening, Gil? Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I enjoy coming back. That means I did well the first time. That's right. <laughs> and you told me already you don't even watch Lost, so I'm alone in my sadness. But I'm sure I'm sure there's plenty of people listening that are feeling the same way you are. Oh, uh, Gary, you ready for this? Ready for this superlative statement? The greatest show in the history of television. What do you think? The entire history. Well, in my lifetime. I mean, I, I can't comment on, you know, stuff that happened before. But in my lifetime, I think so. I'm so sticking that, that, with that it. Sounds like you need, that sounds like you need to put up a, a blog post and let people vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe so. Maybe a forum, there's a forum poll in our future, perhaps. All right. Well, let's do some uh, let's do some stats today. We're gonna get through the uh, the non sabermetric stat show today. I like to talk about over unders for umpires as well as top run supported pitchers and run line stats for run line betters on teams in the major leagues. You were saying that there was something going on there that was of note, interesting to you in the forums as well in terms of eyeballs correct yeah what i noticed is with the nba playoffs and even the ncaa basketball you'll have uh, some of the pros you know mike hook or dan, uh, dan or whoever will post you know nba plays you'll, mm-hmm. you'll see you know 1700 views we'll post major league baseball plays you'll see 400 views i don't know if there's just not as much interest or if there's just less people betting on baseball but for those who aren't, it's an opportunity to make money. There's as much value in baseball as there is in football or basketball or hockey. So you're saying like the, the same pro, if the same pro put out a basketball pick and the same pro put out a baseball pick, the basketball will get exponentially more views. That's what I've noticed, yes. Interesting. Huh. Well, and that would be consistent, of course, with what we know about folks' attitude on betting baseball a lot, which is something VNR, uh, VR and I rather got into on uh, Friday, which is... Sort of this notion that baseball continues to be the stepchild of the major sports betting-wise. And I, my theory still comes back to the whole phenomenon of the bullpen implosion. I think there's something specific. And this is just my opinion, just tossing this you know, out of my behind right now. But I'm just guessing that the nature of a bullpen loss is so... Uh, not only is it different from what happens in other sports... But something about being on the wrong end of that just drives people who try to bet baseball so mad that they oftentimes don't come back ever again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I can believe it. Like that. Well, I mean, what do they put in the paper? They put the starting pitcher. Yeah. They put your starting pitcher versus starting pitcher. People see that and they go, oh, Santana's going to pitch great tonight on the back out. Well, last night was a good example. The Mets had a chance to lose that game. Santana pitched seven innings. Beautiful. Gave up four hits, I think one run, and then all of a sudden you're in danger of losing the game, and your guy's sitting on the bench. 
So I can definitely see how that affects some people's thinking. I'll tell you, that's the one baseball game of the year because Lost uh, was on. I didn't see one pitch of. <laughs> Mets ended up winning 6-4, to four, right? Correct. As I see here right now. But I see what you're saying. The Mets stayed, staked out a big lead and then almost uh, found a way to lose it. Well, yeah. yeah. And there was uh, two on, two on, I believe, with uh, A-Rod up, and he struck out. Well, that's, you know, so I, I can't imagine that that will ever change, I guess is what I'm saying. I, we we are endeavoring to change it. We are, uh, you know, trying to make the case for baseball here uh, all year long as to why there's, I believe, more value in baseball than in any other sport. But uh, we fight the good fight, let's put it that way. Let's talk stats, shall Great we? Start. Stats away. All right. Shall we start with uh, catering to the totals betters? Do you do a lot of totals, Gary? As a matter of fact, I'm probably about 50%, size 50% totals. And have you noticed a success rate for you uh, either way as being better in sides or in totals thus far? Um, early in the year was definitely sides. In the last probably two or three weeks, it's definitely been totals. Well, let's start with umpires. How closely do you look at umpires when you're doing totals? It's one of the factors I definitely look at. Since they have track records, some umpires have bigger strike zones, force the players to swing the bat, and that can always lead to more runs because they're not taking those borderline pitches. They're actually putting them in play. Same yep. way if you got an umpire that's real particular, it's going to lead to more base runners, more walks, more frustration on the pitcher's part. They feel like they're getting squeezed, and then they make mistakes. So it's definitely something to look at, and that's why they keep records on it. How about, how about I do the overs and you do the unders? Shall we do that? That sounds like a plan. All right, so here are the top umpires in terms of their penchant for being behind home plate and games resulting in overs. The top umpires, and I'll give, a, uh, I'll give the top group seven out of eight times that these two gentlemen have been behind home plate. Seven out of eight. That's 87.5% if you're scoring at home there, Gary. Mark Wegner... And Tim Welke have umped in over games seven out of eight times for Wegner and Welke. That's pretty amazing. By the way, Welke is the top of that group. 12.6 runs a game are scored in games that he's behind home plate. That's like by far, by far the most runs. Um... Seven out of nine games behind home plate, and we've mentioned this gentleman, I think, on every show that we've done this year, uh, Angel Campos. Seven out of nine games that he's been behind home plate have resulted in overs. The other big ones, and uh, we'll cap it here, Todd Tishner, six out of eight have gone over, and then six out of nines, there are four guys Phil Cousy, uh, Lazaro Diaz, who we have mentioned many times, Angel Hernandez, and Brian Onora, which is a new name for us. Those four gentlemen have gone six out of nine times. But again, the two biggest, or let's let's just say the three biggest, seven out of eight, Mark Wegner and Tim Welke, and seven out of nine, Angel Campos. So again, names to sort of keep in mind when you go to your favorite websites and see... Uh, which umpires are umping that game that day or that night. And that's pretty readily available to anyone who's searching baseball-related portions of websites. What you got for the under there, uh, Gary? Oh, we have got... I, I don't have first names on uh, the site I'm looking at. Okay, I'll try to, I'll try got, to uh, fill in the first names for you. Yeah, there you go. Uh, B. Davidson, out of his 10 times behind the plate, we have two overs and seven unders. Bob Davidson. There you go. And then... Um, 
B. Dreckman, nine appearances, behind the plate, two overs and seven unders. That's Bruce Dreckman, okay. And Estabrook is one of the one of the very popular ones. He's uh, two overs and eight unders. So he's even a bigger um, uh, under umpire, Mike Estabrook, yep. who, who we've mentioned on this show yep. every week, I think, for the unders. Yeah, I gotta say, you mentioned him the first time I was on the show. That was one of the ones that you pointed out then, and he's a nice eighty percent to the under. Yeah. And the last one is uh, T. Timmons. Two overs, seven unders out of ten appearances behind the plate. Tim Timmons, yeah. Uh, Tim Timmons, also one guy that we mention all the time. Let me add one more to that also, uh, Gary. Uh, Jim Wolf, one under and seven overs. So seven out of eight times he's umped, it's gone under. And Jim Wolf is the guy I talked about on the, uh, on the overside how Tim Welke was the guy who actually had the most runs per game of any uh, umpire behind home plate this season. Jim Wolf is the guy who has the actual lowest average of runs per game in games that he's umped. In the, in the eight games that he's umped, seven of which have gone under, 5.5 runs have been scored on average. That's like over a run less than everybody almost. So something to note. So repeat those. You, got, you, got, you start with Davidson again. What are those names again? Davidson, Dreckman, Estabrook, Timmons, and Wolf. Okay. Thank you, sir. Those are the unders. Again, we're talking here with uh, Gary, otherwise known as STL Sharp, in your pregame forum threads, a staple that you are for a long... When did you join uh, pregame.com's uh, forums, by the way? Actually, I was a, I was a lurker for probably about six <laughs> or eight months. A lurker. And uh, I, I actually started posting, I guess, probably last November, December. What do you think the stats are on actual members versus lurkers? Do you think it's like double the size of lurkers? Oh, probably. I hadn't I hadn't considered the lurker element. That's interesting. If you look at one of the pages when you first go in, it tells you how many members are on the site and how many visitors. Right. And the visitors are always like huge number. I think we should we should call it lurkers. I think that's a better name. I agree. <laughs> All right, let's talk uh, top run and least run supported pitchers. I always do the top run, but you have brought the fewest runs, um, or the guys who have the fewest runs supporting them this year. Yes. Yes, I do. And and the, and the first one is, is is really funny because he's the gentleman who now wants to be traded because his team's not giving him any run support. Oh. That would be Roy Oswalt of Houston. How many runs of uh, support is he getting, or lack of support? Two point six six runs per start. Jeez. And converse, conversely, his ERA is 2.66, so he's definitely at a break-even. Wow, funny how that works out, huh? I would think a guy like that, though. I mean, you know, I know guy, people in Houston are going to feel betrayed, right? Houston Astros fans, I guess. But, I mean, doesn't it make sense that a guy like that, just at this point, he's sick and tired of it? Well, I mean, at this point in his career, you know, he wants to have a chance to win. Obviously, their team is offensively challenged, to say the least. And he, he don't have much help. He, he's pretty much, you know, the stud. Uh, Rodriguez is a decent addition as a pitcher, but I could definitely see Oswald wanting to go somewhere where, you know, in a year or two he could have a chance at the playoffs, not staying there. Well, it would be interesting to see. I mean, I can't wait to see where he gets traded, if and when he gets traded. But it should be interesting to see where he ends up because he, of course, only wants to go to a team that is a legitimate contender. Who else besides Oswald on that list of least run-supported pitchers? Uh, Charlie Morton. Of the Pittsburgh Pirates, only three point two seven runs per start. Wow! And he could use the run support, couldn't he? Yeah, his his ERA is a touch high. Yeah, yeah, his ERA is a touch high. Although, although in fairness, he's pitched way better in his last three or four outings that he had that he did earlier in the season. 
Oh, definitely. The third one's out in your neighborhood. Clayton Richard for San Diego. Only 3.54 runs per start. Huh. Yeah, that's sort of consistent with how the Padres have been over the last few years in baseball for sure. 3.54. So Oswalt, um, Morton, Morton, and Richard. Clayton Richard. All National League guys. And the, and the fourth one that happens to be a National League guy out your direction also, and that's Jonathan Sanchez of San Francisco. Only 3.63 runs per start. All right, let's round it out with a top five. Who's the fifth? Well, good. Now we have an American League. Uh, David Huff from Cleveland at 3.75. So those guys for, and we always talk about now, run support for starting pitchers, and it really just comes down to good or bad fortune. Now, Zach Lawson and I, Zach and I had this had a talk about it because um, he very persuasively states the case that it's not completely uh, good or bad fortune. There is sort of a letdown with uh, with offenses sometimes when their ace is on the mound. So in the case of Oswald, for instance, perhaps it's natural. It's something inherent uh, naturally in his players where they're like, oh, Oswald's on the mound, you know. You don't, you can't get quite as up, or you don't feel the in, inherent need to score as many runs, and therefore it's not maximum effort. I'm, I'm paraphrasing uh, Sack, so forgive me if I'm not uh, articulating what he was trying to get across correctly. But I understand what he's saying. There is perhaps a psychological thing happening there too. But in general, it, it really is just a a whimsical thing. Sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not, and for entire seasons, as we see. Some of these guys get lucky or unlucky. By the way, I'd be curious, um, Gary, if you still have that up on the screen, where does Zach Greinke fall on this list? 18th. 18th. How many runs yeah. a game is he getting? He actually gets 4.71 runs a game. Really? So he must have had a game somewhere in there. Because, again, we're dealing with a sample size of less than 10 games now for most of these guys. But it's like he must have had a game or two in there that they just went gangbusters. Because every time he's on the mound, it seems like he's getting nothing to me. Well, um, like I said, when you get when you get to the converse side of that, you'll uh, run across one that is the same thing, where you had a game or two where the team just scored an outrageous amount. It kind of skews your results. Yeah, I always point that out for uh, Kevin Correa of the uh, Padres, who I think was the starting pitcher when the Padres scored 17 runs this year. Can I make can I make one more point? You were talking about what Zach was saying. Yes, please. Another reason, another reason I believe it's like that is usually your your number ones will face another number one, so. Obviously, if Oswald's facing Carpenter, the odds of him getting very much run support isn't very likely. That's another reason you see some of your higher-caliber pitchers with lower run support. They're usually facing the other team's best pitcher. And even if it doesn't happen usually, because usually, I don't know, I don't know if I've, if looking at matchups this year, if I would say usually, but it certainly happens enough that it would knock it down. Correct. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. That's actually a very good point, Gary. Um, Let's talk AL run support per nine innings pitched. Nick Blackburn of the Twins, 8.17 runs per game thus far. Ain't that nice. Phil Hughes of the Yankees still getting 7.61 runs per game, and Luke Hoshaver of the Royals (laughs) getting 7.44 runs per game. Man. Zach Greinke he's must getting all the runs. Was, yeah, he's getting all the runs Greinke should be getting. That's right, I'm saying. Greinke's probably looking over at him like, really, you bastard. David Price, also almost seven runs a game for the Tampa Bay Rays at 6.94, and his, his uh, teammate James Shields right behind him at 6.60. So, of course, always nice to be on, you know, one of the better teams as well. That helps out. 
as they will consistently give you know most of their staff a lot of runs per game. National League, um, the tops in all of baseball are at the top of this list. Josh Johnson of the Florida Marlins, the number one run-supported pitcher in all of Major League Baseball, the number one run-supported starter, 8.43 runs per game, and we're almost in June, and he's still getting that kind of clip rate of support. Um, and he's a guy who, quite frankly, doesn't need that much run support, but he's getting it. 8.43. Randy Wolf of the Brewers right behind him at 8.40 runs support. Carlos Silva, 7.38. Kevin Correa, who I mentioned, still the beneficiary of that early season run support at 7.35. And then Rodrigo Lopez of the Diamondbacks, 7.26 runs per game. And that makes sense since the Diamondbacks are such a prolific offense. So those are, You would think all their pitchers would be getting nice run support. Uh, Ian Kennedy is 14th. Edwin Jackson is 16th. Dan Heron is 19th. So with the Diamondbacks <laughs> offense being that way, you know, I don't know how much you could read into a specific guy getting luckier than the next anyway. You were saying, you know, it's a small slate of games today. Uh, before I get into the top run lines, well, let's do the run lines first, and then we'll talk about today's very mini slate in baseball. Are you a run yeah, line? Run line run, no, run lines is mostly you, man, because I'm like... I'm like you when we had talked on the first show. I, I always do it off the money line. I, I probably maybe twice a year I'll play a run line. It's about it. Yet people love the run line. People still get tempted by the run line. They still like to do it. And, you know, I, I, I certainly it works for some. So in an effort to sort of give as much information as possible on the podcast for not only totals betters but also run line betters, Let's talk about the best and the worst run-line teams in all of baseball, and I think it's interesting to see how that list has changed as the season evolves. First of all, just in terms of uh, the best run-line teams in baseball, we mentioned them as the team last week that had risen to number one and was number one with a bullet. Well, they're still number one, the Toronto Blue Jays. And we're talking about blindly betting a team now on the run-line, Gary, that if they're the favorite... Or if they're the dog, you're either laying to win a unit or laying a unit as the dog in the run line. But if you had done so blindly with the Blue Jays, you'd be up almost 15 units on the season. 14.71 units on the season with the Blue Jays. They're 30 and 16 against the run line. Actually, four games better than their actual record. And that makes sense because when they win, they do tend to win big. And when they lose, they keep it close. It's sort of a de facto power ranking, I like to think. Mm-hmm. Number two is the New York Mets. And last night's a great example of this, where the Mets were dogs, still managed to win. There's a run line winner. The Mets over yep. 14 units, 14.05 units to the positive on the Mets. So they're second place behind the Blue Jays. They're 29 and 16 against the run line. And number three... And by the way, I should say, after the Blue Jays and the Mets, it drops off precipitously. After the Blue Jays and Mets, the Blue Jays and Mets are by far the best two run line teams in all of baseball. After that, no one would have made you even 10 units betting on the run line all year long if you had bet them blindly. But number three would be the San Diego Padres at just over 9 units, 9.15 units to the positive. I don't think I would have expected the Jays and the Mets to by far be the best run line teams. I think that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. San Diego, you can kind of figure because they're having such a good year. And 
their their overall straight up record is is really decent. So that would you know lead you to believe that. But yeah, the Mets, especially the Blue Jays, that would be one that would be hard to figure to start with. It's funny the Blue Jays after you know because I, I they've been one of my favorite teams all year. I can kind of. In, in retrospect, I don't know that I would have predicted it, right? But in retrospect, I can understand why the top run line team, even after the season has, you know, we're, we're what, 45 games roughly deep into the Major League Baseball season, so over a quarter of the season in, even if you had put a gun to my head and you said, all right, Gil, what's the number two, you know, best run line team? Had I not done this show every week, I don't think I ever would have guessed the New York Mets because the Mets have the biggest discrepancy between their actual record and their run line record. Like with the Blue Jays, it's only a four-game difference. The Mets are only 22-23 and 23 in reality. They're not even a 500 team in real life. But against the run line, they're 29-16. and 16. That's a seven-game difference. That's huge. That's remarkable. So that, that just goes to show, you know, when they're losing, they're losing a lot of close games, apparently. I would agree with you. I, I don't have the actual stat on that, but what it what it does suggest is I don't know if they're blowing out teams on the favorite side so much as they are keeping games close. So there's got to be a one-run record in there that's pretty... Uh, perhaps they have a really bad one-run record. I don't know. Or a run or a one-run record with a lot of losses, let's put it that way, anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, the worst run-line teams in all of baseball. Uh, and this is a let's see i'm looking for the team now that's a new it's a new leader a new leader in the clubhouse houston astros almost 14 units down yeah so that would almost figure yeah if you're bad you're as bad we talking, as we were talking about their offensive deficiencies that would almost go hand in hand yeah although there'll be an interesting point in a moment because i'll contrast it to the baltimore orioles but houston is the worst run line team in baseball almost 14 units down close behind them though and actually, this is the team with the bullet, I think, is the Milwaukee Brewers. They're 13.35 units down. Had you been on them blindly on the run line this year, they would have cost you that much, which is a whole bunch. Uh, third worst, Cleveland, 11.8 units down. Fourth worst, Chicago White Sox, 11.55 units down. And then the fifth worst, we'll round out a top five, uh, the Boston Red Sox who are slowly but surely, as predicted, making their way off this list, but they're still just a tick over 10 units down on the season on the run line, which is interesting. The other way, we talked about how, you know, the Mets, the huge discrepancy between the Mets' actual record and how great their run line record is. The reverse of that are the Boston Red Sox and the Baltimore Orioles. The Red Sox are 24-21 and 21 in reality, but only 16-29 and 29 against the run line. And they're still suffering from an early season, you know, patch where they just got, they were huge favorites or very substantial favorites oftentimes and ended up losing games outright. So they're working their way off that list. Baltimore, in contrast to the Astros, you know, one of the worst teams in baseball. I believe Baltimore is the single worst team in baseball. Baltimore is at 14-31 and 31 in the real world, if you will. But against the run line, a full eight games better, 22-23. and 23. They're almost 500 against the run line. So that's pretty interesting. It, it would be interesting to know, you know, to, to go even further and see if they're, you know, winning games they're supposed to win or if they're staying closer in games they're supposed to lose. Correct. And I think with 
with the Mets on the reverse side, without that stat, you're right. It's a hard thing to assess. Our best guess without the numbers in front of us is that they're keeping the games they lose close. With Baltimore, it's not a difficult assessment to make since you know they've only won 14 games in general. <laughs> then you know there's got to be a healthy dose of one-run losses in there. Right. Without question. Because, again, almost 500 against the run line this year. So that's pretty impressive. But you are right. Without the actual breakdown, we'd want to take it one step further if we could get that number in there as well. But Baltimore clearly losing a lot of one-run games. So anyway, that's pretty interesting for, you know, not only for the run line betters there, but for the over-under betters uh, with the stats we gave before. And uh, here's here's a question we always get. Where are you getting uh, your numbers from here, Gary? Statbox is what I use, and they have pretty much all the stats on everything, and not just baseball. They have it for you know all the sports, basketball, uh, football, AFL. They've got it for everything. Yeah, someone mentioned uh, Statfox on uh, on one of the threads the other day, and I'm forgive me, I can't remember who did, so I apologize to that person. Statfox is one of these that most people check out during football season, but yeah, during um. During baseball, it's like I never, ever thought to do so. But apparently they have a very nice breadth of baseball stats with a lot of depth to it as well. Very short, small board of Major League Baseball games today, Gary. Um, We're talking to STL Sharp once again. Gary, from your pregame forum threads, only four games on the schedule today, which is the shortest board of the whole season since day one. I have passed on the grouping of four, but you see value in one, yes? I, I see one game. Like I'm, I'm waiting to see what you know what, how the line moves later in the day, just to make sure I'm not looking at something completely wrong. But you got uh, Anaheim, well, L.A. Angels and Toronto, and, and looking at the sabermetric numbers, um, Saunders has been pitching great his last three starts. He's averaging seven point three innings per start. He's got a whip of zero point nine eight. Cecil, on the flip side of that, is only averaging 4.7 innings in the last three starts, and he's got a whip of over two. Both bullpens are relatively mediocre to bad. Um, but from watching the L.A. Cardinal game yesterday, I know that L.A. didn't use their closer, and they only used their setup man for, I think, four hitters. And the line's only Angels minus 120. So I'm, I'm thinking that looks like a nice play. I was wanting to get your opinion, Bill, to see what you thought. The, the reason I stayed off... Um, and I'm gonna get a reputation for staying off, I'm like Mr. Stay Off here. But the reason that I did for <laughs> you know for this game was just the fact that with Brett Cecil, it's one of those things where if you throw out one of his games, then all of a sudden he doesn't look so bad. And because uh, on on the flip side, obviously, what you were saying about Joe Saunders is correct. Joe Saunders was one of these guys for the Angels who was very frustrating earlier in the year because he was such a good pitcher last year. And he started off this year very shaky, and only in his last, you know, three, four outings he has come back to being the Joe Saunders we, we have come to know and love from last year. So now Saunders, you can pretty much expect, he's back to form. With Brett Cecil, it's one of those things where he's got this one game against the Rangers two starts ago where he just got absolutely murdered, right? He was, like, in there for two innings. He gave up eight earned runs on eight hits, you know, just destroyed, but if you throw out that one day, all of a sudden then, he's like this guy who's pitched very well the rest of the season. Not very, very well, but he's been very solid. 
Um, and so it was just one of those matchups where I'm like, well, they've got the better offense by far, you know, so that sort of evens that out. Um, and as you say, you're dealing, <laughs> you, you were very, you were, Gary, you were very kind with the bullpens. You said moderately to not good at all kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. They, they both, re- you know, very shaky bullpens is absolutely correct. And so it was just one of those games where I just, and then I look at the line as not having huge bang for my buck in either direction. Uh, and so I just decided to stay off for those factors. But now you said an interesting thing about line movement. You're still waiting to see line movement. Now take me through that because I'm always fascinated by this. Um, anyone who listens to the podcast knows. What is, explain to me what that means. Well, the way, the, way I, the way it was explained to me years ago when, like, when the betting percentage sites first started popping up all over the place, is you, you all the lines move, but you, what helps is knowing what side the majority of the tickets are printed on. Just an example, let's say you have 75% of the tickets printed on last night on the Yankees, let's say, and the line's 150. But then the line moves down to 140. Well, then that's telling you that the 25% of the tickets on the Mets are a much larger dollar value since the books are trying usually trying to balance their money. So those 75 tickets aren't equal to those 25% of the tickets. That would that would lead you to believe that your sharp players, your wise guys, the ones professional betters, the wager more money, or on that 25% side. Correct. So, so that's game- just kind of it's just another little factor. Like if you're looking at a game, like I'm looking at the Anaheim game. It's at 120 now. I'm going to check, oh, probably another 15, 20 minutes when the lines top up, kind of monitor throughout the day and keep an eye on it. If I see something bizarre happen where all of a sudden Toronto becomes a 120 favorite, but the majority of the tickets are on the Angels, that will definitely throw up a red flag and make me reconsider what I'm looking at in that game. So I so in the scenario you just you just described before so if if, if it was a seventy five percent to twenty five percent breakdown seventy five percent in terms of ticket number then that line doesn't right. move at all then you look at that twenty five percent side as being the sharp side which would make sense and then you you put more credence into that is what you're saying correct and I actually look for a you know a movement a significant not really significant movement. But if if you get a, a ten cent, well, like VR will tell you, if you if you get a ten cent move all at one time, that'll generally tell you that someone steamed that game. Especially if there's a majority seventy, seventy-five, eighty percent on the other side, that's a good indication that that was a steam, not just you know a bunch of public money. Now here's my thing, and I and VR and I actually had this talk a couple weeks ago. Um, and if you're a listener to this podcast, you know how I stand on this stuff, which is that. I'm a big line movement guy in football and basketball. I've made no secret about that. But in baseball, with 162 games per team and just a six-month schedule and all that kind of stuff, I'm not a big line movement guy because a lot of times you're just not dealing with a volume that means something. Steaming is something else, right? But in terms of ticket you know, numbers and that sort of thing, would it take you off a bet, in other words? So let's say you're capping a game, Gary. And you just, you're like, oh, the value is on Team X. Man, do I think, and it's a perfect storm of value on Team X. I am definitely all over Team X. And then later in the day, you see this bizarro line movement in the other direction. Will it take you off of that? 
mm, a lot of factors go into play. It, it depends on how I'm doing at the time. If, if I've been capping, I'm on a hot streak, things are going well, you know, what I'm doing seems to be working, mm-hmm. it may not take me off of that game. If I'm struggling, things aren't going, I'm having some tough losses, and I see something like that, it, it'll either take me off or make me reduce my amount of my wager. If I thought it was going to be, you know, a double play, I might say, I still like it, but I'll play it as a single play, so I'm still going to get something out of it, but I'm not going to cost myself if I am wrong. It's another handicapping factor gotcha. that I use. You know, it, it will help me if I'm really in love with the game and I see that move go toward that team. It, it may make me like it even a little more. Mm-hmm. It might be, you know, I like them at this. Well, I might put one and a half on it instead of one. Kind of a co- confirming factor. You already like it. So now you know that some of the sharps like it as well. That makes you more confident in your work. So you are making an official STL sharp play today on the Angels. Can I uh, put that down for you? At, at this at uh, ten fifty five Central Time, <laughs> I'll say yes. I love that. Yeah, the, the hedge. Um, as of this moment, I love it. And right now, the Angels are at minus one twenty five ish or so, depending on what book you're at. I'm looking at five dimes right now. Yeah, like I, checked, I checked this morning, and it was 120, and I hadn't checked yet. I usually check around 11 central time and then kind of started tracking it from there. Here's a question. How often, just as a, you know, a, a guy who enjoys betting, you've got your life, you've got your job, you have your normal existence on planet Earth, and then we can all appreciate this, you also like to bet on sports. So how often during your day and at what times of day do you, not necessarily what times of day, but when do you squeeze this into your day? Or is it not even a squeeze? <laughs> is the rest of your life squeezed around this? Like what, what is sort of your routine? Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's more like it, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm an early riser, so I get up about 4, 4.30 central time. And I, I get, you know, look at the overnight lines, look at the games get my stuff together, then I uh, probably spend about an hour, and then I go back to regular life, got to get ready for work, get the wife up, do all that good stuff, get into work, get the get the guys going, get everything organized, and luckily I've got a decent job where I have some ample time on my hands, so then, like I said, around 11 or so, I'll check the numbers and do some more breakdowns on the games, and then usually around probably three central, I'll check back in, check the line, see what's going on, make sure there was no injuries, no pitching changes, that kind of thing. And then by about four central, I'm ready to put my plays in and get my stuff together, and then get home and do my posting and and then once get the, on ga- the forums and once the games are off, Gary, then how um, fervently are you watching every pitch, or are you one of these guys who just well, I made my play and let's see what the fates decide uh it depends you got to do that family time and spend time with the wife and in your case watch loss last night i mean you know you have stuff that takes precedence sometimes over that and i'm not one that really likes to watch the games all of them if it's on or if it's baseball especially i like to see like you know what pitchers have been used what haven't but when it comes to like football net i don't really i don't have to watch every game i don't have to watch what i've got money on i'll see the final results wow See, I'm such a, I'm such a football fan that I just uh, even as a even if I'm not betting, I'll watch. I'll just be like, "What? There's a football game on? Let me see." All right, well, cool. So your your play as of this moment is the L.A. Angels today, and uh, totals and run line betters 
use those stats as uh, Gary and I went through earlier today. Use them accordingly. Again, all of these stats, never to be bet blindly, obviously, as everyone knows, but just another sort of factor in your capping. And we like to monitor those things for totals betters and for run line betters all season long. So some interesting stuff apparently, or I think, revealed uh, specifically, I should say, in that run line category there today. Gary, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. I always enjoy talking to you. I always enjoy discussing sports, no matter what it is. (laughs) (laughs) And you've got your daily thread going again today, correct? Yep, we got it up, and I'll be updating it around between 5 and 5.30 Central after I see the the latest team moves just to make sure nothing contradicts with what I'm looking at. STL Sharp in your pregame forms. Thank you, sir, so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Gil Alexander, betting dork for a Monday morning. Thanks so much for listening.